Hello everyone and welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. My name is Eleni. And I'm Jeffrey. And today we are discussing episode 12 of season 5 called... Come Home. Come Home. Simple, sweet, to the point. In reference to Emily telling Richard to come home. Just as, just as a title, it sounds like something off the Hallmark channel. Yeah. <laughs> or what's the new channel that um, Candace Cameron Bure started because she doesn't like... I don't, I don't even know what it's called. Homophobia, homophobia Central? Yeah, like anti-fun channel. That's what it's called. I don't know. but um, Tradi- Traditional family values. I'm a hypocrite channel. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's not a very... Um, it's not a very deep title, but I think it does the uh, job well. Come I home. love how Emily says, come home. And it's like, hey, you've been living in your home. Just yeah, as sir, you're like home adjacent the whole time. <laughs> also, by the way, it's called Great American Media. Yes. Because of oh, course it is. Great American Media. Wonderful. What's that? Uh... Of course it is. Anyway. <sighs> um, yeah, so... The title is in reference to Emily and Richard getting back together. Mm-hmm. Did you see it coming? No, I was shocked. Okay, not like your rewatch, your first time around. <laughs> oh, my first time around. No, I think um, from what I remember, it was like fairly obvious that's where the storyline was headed. Yeah, because the episode before, they were like bonding over the dog. Right. And they were being civil to each other for once and they complimenting each other and seem not to be as annoyed with each other as they were at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was more um, shocking for me, the fact that they're just like, come home. Okay. <laughs> like, did you talk about it? <laughs> yeah, I think that was like the most rigid and Emily way they could have worked it out was like, just by s- subtly getting closer to each other again. And then like, come home. Okay, the end. Yeah. Like, let's not actually discuss it in terms. We'll just make it clear to each other that we're good. Well, that's not at all unusual, I think, for Richard and Emily not to discuss things that they don't want to discuss. Yeah. Um, but I do think it, it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the season or even at the end of last season, that sometimes you just need space. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's what they needed to realize that they're better together and happier together. Yeah. Um, so maybe the rest doesn't matter so mm-hmm. much. But, um, you know, I do think that final scene where she's like, come home. He's like, I don't want to go back to the pool house. I do think they both looked really lonely. Yeah, they did. Um, so I think in terms of the acting of Edward Herman and Kelly Bishop, I think they did such an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Um, because they both look like so fed up. and like, ugh, what are we doing? Like, I just want to come home. <laughs> um, so I did enjoy that. Mm-hmm. As like... Um, as the viewers of a thousand times over, it's like, of course, just do it and get, and get it over with. We've we been waiting. For sure. But I do think the more you watch it, you're like, it is very them, like you said. Mm-hmm. Like, come home. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Pack your shit. And then even at the end where he's like, I'm firing Robert next week. And she's like, obviously. Um, you don't need him anymore. Yeah. It's such a Richard and Emily way of dealing with their problems. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if it works for you, fine. They seemed happier after, but um, I don't think that works in regular life. No, not really. Although I do have to say, I think the conversation that they had in the car right after he ran her over, almost, <laughs> I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but, um, you know, she, he's telling her, ugh, we're jumping all over the place, but he's telling her like, uh, 
you know, I had to find out from my colleagues that you went out with Simon. He's like, oh, it was just dinner. Nothing happened. He's like, well, I told you nothing happened with Penelope and Lot. And you're like, oh, well, maybe that was kind of them hashing it out. Yeah. I don't know. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, Emily had a right to be upset over the whole Penelope Lot issue. For sure. He did maintain nothing happened. And then she went on a date with Simon. So I don't know. Do you I'm think they're gonna, comparable though? I'm not going to say they're even, but it's like, seems to me that like Richard and Emily needed to, like, like I said, needed to work it out that way, not make them even, but you know what I mean? Like they needed to, I think Emily needed to go on that date and come home and cry and then run back to her husband, you know? Yeah. Do you think though that, you know, because we're meant to believe that Richard's been having lunch with Penelope Law every day, every day, every year. Can you imagine? Every year of his marriage. So like 40 years, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Emily going on that date was really because she wanted to go on the date because she was bored at her house alone? Or was it because like, well, he can go out with somebody else. I can go out with somebody else. No, I think she was bored. I think by that point, yeah. I don't think Penelope Law was anywhere on her radar. Yeah. But do you think then maybe that in the car when he brought up Penelope Law, like somewhat out of the blue, she mm-hmm. was like, oh, well, I guess we're even. I went out. He went out. Nothing happened on both our ends. We're fine. You know, I don't know if, like I said, I don't, I don't think in Emily's mind it was like we're even, but I think she I think a light bulb went off. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I sh- maybe I, sh- I maybe I overreacted a little with that. I mean, I think she was she had a right to be angry. Did she have a right to be like Penelope Law, blah, 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 like at the right? <laughs> The, the grand's funeral where it's like make sure to thank Penelope Lot for being Penelope Lot. <laughs> Seriously, that was hilarious though. But so. you know, listen, the separation wasn't just about Penelope Lot. It was an accumulation of things, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe for her in the car when they were discussing everything, it was more about trusting him. So she's telling him, "I'm like nothing happened. I promise you." And he's like, well, nothing. I promise you that nothing happened either. And she's like, oh, okay. well, what's good for me is also good for him. You know, I'm asking him to trust me. So why can't I trust him? Yeah. Um, But yeah, can I can we talk about, though, the fact that like this man found out that is separate, like the wife that he separated from went on a date with somebody. And then instead of talking to her about it, Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to rear end you. Right. <laughs> in front of everyone just for the sake of causing a scene or reclaiming his wife I, I yeah I don't know what that was it seemed really manipulative to me yeah like, I don't know, to like get her attention but you could have done that a million other ways I think the only thing I can think of is because Richard's really even tempered usually right like he doesn't really react yeah. Um, the only time we've really seen him react really terribly is when Strobe was insulting <laughs> Lorelai and uh, Rory. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying he's not a family man, but I think like I can just imagine the scene where he pulls up to this museum gala because <laughs> rich people say gala. <laughs> yeah. um, and like he's just found out that she went on a date with somebody else. And then he sees that somebody else talking to her. And in my mind, like, he just saw red and he was like, yep, this seems like a great idea. Yeah, I don't think it was premeditated. I think he pulled up, saw them talking, was like, oh, bitch, you not on my watch and just rammed into her car. Yeah, I think it was more like in the moment when he did it, it was more of a show of dominance. 
Yeah. Like, cause you can see him even when he's talking to the guy to Simon, I think is his name, right? Simon. Yeah. Simon. So he's like, I'm her husband, Simon. I will decide if she needs a doctor, Simon. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I feel like there was another way to do this and not cause thousands of dollars of car damage. Yeah. But um, to them, to them, that's chump change. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I was like, oh, to be able to just ram, like, ram someone's car to get their attention. Yeah. Like, I have a crush on you. It's a new pulling of the pigtails. Pretty much. Oh, my God. I found that whole thing, like, a little bit manipulative. It was. And I think... Like, get in the car. You've just been in an accident. Don't speak. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, it was definitely to assert his dominance. But, unfortunately, that's just kind of their dynamic. Yeah, I think it's kind of their dynamic and also like high society's dynamic. Yeah, exactly. Like the way he was speaking of like, I'll take care of her. We'll decide together if she's going to go to the doctor. I'm her husband. I think it was all a a show for him. It was. And if if it had happened in in private, I think it would have gone down differently. I think he was putting on a show, whether it was for Emily, for the crowd, for Simon. I think it was checking a lot of boxes. Yeah, I think so too. But they are back together. Yes. Um, after twelve episodes of being separated. <laughs> it's literally twelve years. <laughs> no, twelve episodes, yes. Yeah, it felt it felt like a while though. Yeah, I think it's, because it's a storyline that carried from season four. Yeah, and it's more grueling with every rewatch. It's like, hey, just just shut up. Go kiss in the bedroom and be quiet. Like <laughs> Yeah, well. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably the first time that they've dragged a storyline out for so long well i mean (laughs) dean jess rory was dragged out for a while yeah but that was a dynamic uh that was like shifting dynamics that was like rory growing up and discovering that dean wasn't you know the only possibility Mm mm-hmm you know, and so there's like things were shifting there. This was like a constant, like we're fighting, we're not together. I hate her. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, and even sorry, but even the build up to them getting back together wasn't all that magical. No, it was inevitable. Yeah, it was inevitable, and also like it was like something. Oh, I see a dog. Like what the fuck? <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it does feel tedious every time you watch it, though, because you know they're gonna end up back together. Like I said in the last episode. Um, the fact that a dog, like a a stray dog, could yeah. you know, so easily unite them for a common cause, I think that indicates how weak the terms of their separation was. If that's all it takes for you to, you know, get talking to each other, it was just yeah, like, yeah. oh, look, <laughs> maybe you should have gone to couples counseling, but no. I think Richard and Emily both, but maybe Emily more to a certain extent. I think they're the type of people that need to feel like they have control over a situation, Mm. even if it's really ridiculous. Yeah. So the fact that they're separated and like living like 10 feet apart is like, no, we're separated, but you're not really right. But because they set the parameters themselves, they're okay with it. And it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. It, It makes for a really weird dynamic when they're like separated, not really separated, living four feet from each other. Yeah. You know, having meetings in the dining room. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I think I'm glad they're back together because the dynamic is so much better when they are between all four main Gil- Gilmores. Oh, but at what cost? So that's where I'm, I was heading. 
like <laughs> at what cost because so we all know what's coming or maybe you don't but we don't i think we've established that this is not a spoiler free rewatch podcast no we always say spoilers and we should really stop yeah <laughs> because i keep seeing that term used to describe a lot of rewatch podcasts and like that wasn't really a thing when we started i mean what was i didn't really notice but i don't think that was much of a thing when we started our podcast in 2019 so <laughs> five seasons in if it's not already clear this is not a spoiler free rewatch podcast but also the show ended in 2007 yeah exactly if you're, if you're watching it for the first time now ooh. <laughs> yeah there's i don't know i think there's there's a difference between when you watch some, an old show like you as the viewer for the first time like you can't be upset if you happen to stumble upon a spoiler like okay the show ended 15 years ago right but if someone like deliberately spoils it for you and then says oh well you know it, it ended 20 years ago who cares like that's just a dick move like if you know what happens don't spoil it for them yeah exactly That's but cool. i mean it's 2023 exactly so if you're listening to this podcast you've probably seen it backwards and forwards a thousand times like we have so spoiler for sure um but i do think so what i was saying is i do think the dynamic is better when they're all together yeah. um even though them being separated made for some really funny scenes mm-hmm. um like the boa scene obviously but i think i think it's also like a relief for lorelei and rory Mm-hmm. Like it must be draining on them having to like keep up with the charade every week. Yeah, I think Lorelai's just over it. Like you can tell she's just been like disconnected emotionally. She's like, I'm just here for. I'm just here because I have to be. Yeah, essentially. Um. Okay, we can talk about other things other than Emily and Richard. Can we start with how cinnamon toothpaste sounds disgusting. Yeah. Um. Thank you. No, thank you. I mean, just in general, I don't like cinnamon candy. I don't know if you like cinnamon candy to me it's just it's spicy in a way that candy should not be um i don't know like cinnamon candy like cinnamon hearts you know at valentine's day like those are nasty yeah those aren't good but they're not really cinnamony no and i think that's misleading like when i was younger if i was like oh try this cinnamon like i taste it like this this tastes like toothpaste but in a bad way yeah but i'm not surprised cinnamon toothpaste exists just i don't want to try it no i'm not surprised anything exists anymore but um I'm with Luke. I'm a toothpaste purist. Yes, me too. If it's not mint, the fuck out of here. Yeah, even then, like my mom usually, my mom is a crest person and I prefer Colgate, aka what Jackson and Sugi's child was almost named. Um, And I don't know, my mom, like the crest that my mom uses is blue. And even then, like I used that a lot growing up just because there was one toothpaste and then eventually it was like, hey, can you like get this one for me and you can keep that one? Because hers just is even blue toothpaste doesn't really fly. So like you said, it has to be <laughs> white mint toothpaste and leave me alone. Okay, I'm okay with colors. Like if it's like, <laughs> if it's a little green because it's minty, fine. Yeah. I don't I, really care. I but I'm, I'm picky, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean like flavor wise, cinnamon seems ridiculous to me and I don't remember I don't know if you used to do this as a child, but you know, like kids' toothpaste have like bubblegum flavor and shit. Yeah. Like thinking about that as an adult, uh, I don't know what the fuck I just said. Thinking about that as an adult makes me cringe. Yeah. I mean, did you use that, those, those as a kid? No. I mean, I think like we would have a pack like when we would sleep over at my grandmother's or something, but it wasn't a regular thing. Yeah. I th- I th- I'm pretty sure I did have those toothpaste, but it was. Even then I was picky. Like I liked one particular flavor. I don't remember. I don't remember what it was. Like I did have my own like child size toothpaste of some kind of 
kitty flavor, but I don't remember. Right. What, I don't remember what it was. And eventually, like, I was in elementary school when I started using like the adult toothpaste, so it wasn't. It wasn't. It was short lived. Yeah, and then I went through a phase where it was just like whatever's on sale. <laughs> that too, because it gets fucking expensive when you have to pay your own bills. Yes. Um, but now at my age, because I'm ancient, <laughs> I have to use Sensodyne. Oh, okay. Wow. Very sensitive teeth, apparently. <laughs> so I have to That's... use Sensodyne, which already is super expensive. And like the mint is not even really mint. It's like mint light. Yeah, it's uh, that's definitely a sign of, um, I don't know, getting older. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. My grandmother used to use Sensodyne. It's okay. You get, you, you get to a certain point, you need it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, ugh, whatever. I'm not going to go into the Sensodyne debate. <laughs> have you ever talked this this much about toothpaste no but they made it such a focal point of the show that i have to yes yes he Anyways. did um yeah so lorelei is over at luke's house and um they're going to bed early because luke has early deliveries so we find out that he wakes up at 4 30 yes um and lorelei is really bored <laughs> because she's not used to going to bed early i mean uh, i think it's a sign of maturity that she at least tr- tried it, like wanted to go to bed with him and, you know, not be like, oh, well, you went to bed early, Kate okay, Chow. Like she made an effort, I think. Yeah, I do like what she said. She said like two days a week when you have early deliveries, I don't get to see you and I want to see you. Mm-hmm. So I think um, she's maturing in the sense of she's willing to compromise. Uh, whereas maybe earlier in the season, it was new for her. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of that episode with the the vote and she goes upstairs to see Luke mm-hmm. and it never occurred to her that he would be sleeping Yeah, at like 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And now she's more, I guess it's also comes with dating for a while too. Like you're more in tune with each other's schedules and you become a little bit more domesticated. But um, I do like that she's trying with him. Yeah. Um, And he's going to bed early and she's like, I'm gonna go to bed early. But you can tell her face is not in it like her heart you could tell by her face she's not in it <laughs> like you know yeah it's uh it, it's difficult honestly to start you you know it's difficult to kind of try to reestablish a sleep pattern and like if you have to get up at a certain time every day then you have to sh- try to go to bed by this time every night and yeah. that's a big big no for me that's like just even saying that out loud is like a big anxiety trigger because i don't know i've always had trouble sleeping and like getting to sleep even when I was younger and just reminds me of elementary school and that's why I'm like oh a nine to five job mm, I, I don't know I don't know if my sleep schedule can handle that <laughs> yeah I don't know so I recently learned this term and I don't know if it's recent mm-hmm. like maybe a year ago okay I learned this term called revenge bedtime procrastination oh I like that tell me more okay so <laughs> Revenge bedtime procrastination is when you, uh, I get, how do I put it? It's when you delay going to sleep at night, even though you're tired or whatever the circumstances are, if you have to wake up early or, you know, you know, you should be in bed or you should stop watching TV, whatever it is, you delay going to sleep mm-hmm. because you crave that free time that the nighttime gives you. Oh, yes. So like for people that have jobs that are like really not even demanding but like somewhere where you spend like eight nine hours a day Mm -hmm. and you know like let's say you spend another hour with your commute 
And then you get home and you're cooking and you have to do the dishes. And then like, by the time you finally sit down and do stuff, like to do what you want to do, it's like 9 p.m. sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, or at least that's what I'm finding now that I run my own home. <laughs> but like, you know, there's always something to do and you never really have me time. Yeah. So that revenge procrastin- revenge bedtime procrastination is that like you don't want to give up that free time. Mm. So even though like, let's say I know realistically I should be in bed by 1030 because I toss and turn forever and I'm, you know, I need my sleep. Mm. You know, there are some nights where I'm just like, okay, one more episode, not because the show is good, but because I'm like, I just want to stay up a little bit longer, you know? Yeah. Because tomorrow this whole routine starts all over again. Yes, I know. Yeah. So I don't know if, so I'm very much a type of person that doesn't really go to bed early unless something's very wrong. <laughs> yes, me too. Or like very I might have a yeah, flight in the morning or something. Yeah, I'm very much a night owl. I am also a night owl. I feel like I'm also really productive at night too. Me too. Like I work better at night. I, like- I work better at night too. Even <laughs> all throughout university, like the later the better for me to write a paper. Yeah. And it wasn't even about, oh my God, the paper's due tomorrow, so I have to crunch. I'm like, no, the paper's due in two weeks, but I work better at night. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know what that says about me. I don't know. They have, I, just, I think it's just a night owl thing. I don't know. I don't really I don't really <laughs> give it that much thought other than I work better at night and I'm sleeping in tomorrow and you can all kiss my behind. Yeah. I don't know. But then do you ever feel guilty for waking up too late? Um, mm, it depends on the situation. Like... If I, if I know, like I, I worked along, like I, I worked late on the computer the night before on whatever it was, um, n- not really. Like if I think if for me, I always have to feel justified in like my, in my rest. Like I have to earn my rest. Believe me, I've spent like years in therapy un- unraveling why I have this urge, this, this compulsion to earn my rest. It's a, it's a type A personality thing. Mm. Um, so for me, I find if let's say I, I worked all day, um, like outside of the house at my at my part time job, and then come home and I worked on something creative all evening long, then I'm like I if I sleep till noon the next day, then I I don't feel guilty about it because I'm like I was so productive yesterday, I deserve the right to sleep in as late as I want. Whereas funny you ask if I feel if I feel guilty because only in the last like few months since finishing university I started feeling like okay I've have nothing to do today and I've just like deliberately overslept and that's that's the only that's the only time in recent memory where I started where I felt really guilty about it oh see I always feel guilty even on a Saturday and Sunday don't (laughs) like I'll set my alarm and then I'll set my alarm let's say for 9 30 and then like linger in bed for a while either reading or like scrolling or writing or whatever it is I do mm-hmm. and then like if it's 11 and I'm still not out of bed I'm like oh mama that's depression <laughs> like, no it's not though <laughs> but I always try and force myself and it's so funny like my therapist was telling me so like set a goal for yourself if it makes you feel so terrible set a goal for yourself so that let's say past 11 I'm not gonna stay in bed or whatever time it is you know she was telling me Mm-hmm. So like whatever time it is say past this time no matter what time I woke up I'm still in bed I have to get out of bed kind of thing you know yeah and at least just move around and do something even if it's to go from the bed to the couch she's mm-hmm. like at least you're out of bed and that guilt is going away but it's so ridiculous to me how crazy my sleep cycle is <laughs> 
and how much it can ruin my day. Like just thinking about it, it's not even like going through it. Just thinking about it can ruin my day. Like, what do you mean? Like ruin you? Like, like ruin like your weekend? if I didn't get out of bed at 11 and I stayed in until noon. Okay. Like the rest of the day, I'm like, you fucking idiot. Okay. You unproductive well. member of society. <laughs> okay, you well. absolute pig person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, some internalized capitalism in there a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, um, you need to up your dose somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, as I do know that you work five days a week, eight hours a day, so I personally would not feel guilty about sleeping in until eleven. Like, I don't like I, again. Like you, your feelings of un, of being unproductive are yours, so I can't really just say don't feel like that. But I don't know. To me, if that if I were in your shoes, I would not feel guilty about sleeping in on a Saturday. Sunday, maybe yes, because I do remember like when I was in school five days a week. Um, you know, it's getting to sleep on Sunday night is just the worst. And I do not wish that feeling on anybody. Unfortunately, I know that's where the Sunday scaries come from. Oh god. Um, but I don't know. For me, like I remember even when I was in school, like sleeping in on a Saturday was no problem. Like, don't don't even touch me. <laughs> yeah, I think I had an easier time of it when I was in school. Like it was more justified in my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the thing. I but I feel like if I'm productive at night, then like that justifies me sleeping in late. Yeah. You know? So let's talk about the fact that Lorelai couldn't sleep, so she read the oven manual. <laughs> And I would never do. (laughs) First of all, I've read a lot of shit in my day. Okay. (laughs) Like literal shit. (laughs) I would never read an oven manual. A moment of silence for all the trees that were, that were killed to print this garbage. (laughs) That book was garbage. (laughs) Oh my God. That was such a terrible book. Thank God I didn't buy that book. Oh my God. Okay. Um, What book was that again? I don't know. That's, that's just your Goodreads review that I keep in the back of my mind. That's for... my Goodreads review for... So th- one thing to know about me is that I will only post a Goodreads review if I'm like super passionate about the fact that the book was amazing or, or I need to shit on this book immediately. <laughs> okay? Like immediately. And nowhere in between. <laughs> nowhere in between. If it was just meh, I'm like, it's meh and it's going to stay in my mind being meh. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> but I read that book on Miss fucking Reese Witherspoon's recommendation. Oh, and fuck that bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Reese is very hit or miss, I have to say. Oh my god, it's crazy. What's wrong with her? I don't know, but I find we're so off topic. But I find (laughs) reading with Jenna has better picks than her. Yeah, I think Reese just kind of picks what's trendy. Ugh, Reese. Reese. Let me get me started on what she's doing to the best book ever. Okay, that's a whole separate topic, and calm down. Okay. Well, by the way, the book is called LA Weather. Never pick it up. Never pick it up. And also, as a librarian, I would never encourage somebody to burn a book, but this one you can burn. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. okay, that's that's quite the passionate uh hate crime. Okay. So, um I don't believe that Lorelai would a read the book, the oven manual, and b actually remember it word for word. No. Absolutely yeah. not. Like maybe she, like in any in any logical situation like she might have memorized one part of it to freak him out but the fact that it was the one part that he needed to fix the oven i don't know no. that's just uh sorry no. lorelei no. it's not working for me <laughs> um but it was cute 
Um, and it also clues Luke into the fact that she can't sleep mm-hmm. um, as early as he can, obviously. So then he buys her a TV. Yeah. So that she can watch her John Stewart and Charlie Rose. No, her Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Patrick Stewart, excuse me. A very different person, Luke. Yeah. So it was nice seeing them in like their domesticated bliss a little bit. Are you ever like triggered by mentions of Charlie Rose based on like his? I'm always triggered by Charlie Rose. Like his tremendous fall from grace. First of all, I'm one of those people that never found Charlie Rose interesting. I don't don't think I ever even saw Charlie Rose before it went like before he was canceled, so to speak. Um, Yeah, I just never I always found him very bland and dry. I remember my dad watched it when I was really little, but like I wasn't. I wasn't awake for it, you know. Like I remember he talked about it, but it's um, very PBS. Yeah, and um, I think there's some good interview moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he himself was super remarkable, and his voice alone would put me to sleep. I think that was. I think that was like part of the pop culture charm of Charlie Rose. Of like, oh, we'll watch Charlie Rose, and because his voice is, we'll put you to sleep. I mean, okay, but that's not what you just strive for, I feel like. No, and I think I think I think every point made about him now is in retrospect is moot considering how much of a sleaze ball he turned out to be in the end. So Yeah. I mean, I think it's over ten women now that have credibly accused him of uh, sexual assault. Gross. You're gross. You're yeah. gross. You're gross. You're nasty. Yeah, nasty. Thank you, Raven. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I I liked, even though they didn't bring much to the storyline, I liked the Lorelai and Luke scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it makes me sad for what's to come. Yeah. Um, because, you know, how you can go from, like, jibber-jabbering about toothpaste and, you know, statistics and Charlie Rose or Patrick Stewart to just crumbling is so sad to me. Okay, I'm going to save my thoughts for next episode. <laughs> I mean, it's not blameless. No. But it, it's still really sad to to, to watch. But okay. Whatever. We'll, we'll talk about it next week. Mm-hmm. Or next episode, I should say. Let's talk about Rory. What's going okay. on in Rory's life? She's pining over a young man. Yeah, so I think this is the first episode where Rory's admitting to herself that she actually likes Logan. Mm-hmm. So before this, it was, um, oh, he's such an ass. Uh, like, why would he do that to me? And then it, she kind of needed Marty to shake her and be like, he obviously has a crush on you. Yeah. And also her grandfather mentioning that, you know, he's a fine young man. <laughs> Shit like that. Um, so I think she was really avoiding it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. What do you think switched for her? I don't really think anything necessarily switched. I think she was just like being immature of like, I don't like him, even though like internally she wasn't actually setting aside what she felt for him. It was like she probably liked she probably liked him within the first few times. I think she liked him after the Life and Death Brigade. And I think it was just in general of oh, who's that? Oh well, like kind of the the whole thing of like when you're an only child and like all the attention's on you and um especially with a dynamic like Lorelai and Rory's and then her, her grandparents being like, oh, a fine young gentleman. She's like, I don't like him. Like she's in fourth grade, you know? And then, yeah, like, I think, I think enough time had passed where she's like, oh, um, I, I do like him. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you, do you think, 
So that episode where Richard is like kind of hinting at them being a cute couple or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and Lorelai's like, who's Logan? And she says, oh, he gave me a ride back. And Lorelai doesn't necessarily make her feelings, um, like hide her feelings very well. Yeah, she's like, oh, limo boy. Yeah, oh, limo boy. Mm, like, he got my daughter drunk kind of thing, this and that. So even in this episode, she's hesitating to tell her who the guy is. Mm -hmm. Which is also something new for Rory, too, right? She doesn't really hide things from her mother. Um, no, not at this stage. Not at this stage, exactly. Um, so whether that's healthy or not, like, and having the, the whole conversation we've had many times of, like, boundaries between mother and daughter... Mm -hmm. um, that's a whole other thing. But for Rory, it's pretty unusual for her to hide things from her mother. Yeah. So I kind of, I don't know if there's something going on with Rory where she's like, where maybe she was denying it to herself too, because she knows maybe deep down her mom wouldn't approve. Yeah. Because he's somebody that comes from that world, as mm -hmm. Lorelai always says, you know. Um, Or if she just didn't want to think about it because, her feelings kind of started while she was still dating Dean. Um, like at the life and death brigade thing, like you said, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is that switched for her. Um, and I don't necessarily think it might be like just one thing, but maybe she did need Marty to kind of point out to her that like, yeah, he obviously likes you. Yeah. So I think she's, I think sadly she's inept in that way, like book smart, but not really uh i don't know what love smart i don't know what the term is <laughs> so i think yeah you're right like marty needed to kind of point it, like vocalize it I, I don't know if roy definitely knew but it was like nobody was really saying it everyone was dancing around it I think yeah i think she's also kind of like insecure in that sense yeah that makes sense no because like the first like the first guy, her first boyfriend was a guy who literally kissed her and told her, like, I like you. <sighs> and then Jess was always like, it was very obvious that Jess always wanted to be around her. Mm -hmm. So she's never really had to chase anyone. Considering that Marty also likes her and he's always around her and she's like blind to that. So do you think she's blind or do you think she just doesn't feel the same way and is trying to spare him? Um, I know honestly based based on what um she said she said to um uh, what's the stupid child's name who got lost in the um the the high school student whose name I'm forgetting uh, Anna you? um when she, she like um Rory said to Anna when they were showing her around like oh look like you know the good thing about college is you know, guys and girls can just be friends, like me and Marty, and like you see Marty's face of like, oh, uh, you know, and yeah. Um, so I think in terms of Roy and Marty, I think she she just wants to be his friend, and she's trying. I think she's being more mature in that sense of you know, guys and girls can be friends without any unnecessarily feelings. But sadly, Marty does have those feelings. So in in the context of her and Logan, I think definitely like guys she's interested in based on just Dean and Jess alone, like they made clear fairly early on that they liked her. Whereas now like Logan's has made it clear, but he's not as like committed to only her as we know. Yeah. Like he's, he's way more subtle about it. And I think the fact that it's kind of his personality to be flirty mm -hmm. kind of has her, her doubting herself. Right. 
Yeah, which we see a lot at the vow renewal. Right. And I think in this episode, too, in particular, like, so first of all, she goes out of her way to help him. And Hmm. I think it's the first step she's taking to kind of put feelers out there and see, you know, I think a she really just wants to spend time with him again. Mm -hmm. But also be like, she's trying to see where he's at where his head's at. And like, imagine showing up to a bar with that many color coded file folders. Girl, get out of here. (laughs) Like, there's no way you have that many notes and files. No, you're insane. (laughs) <laughs> also sweetie get a life <laughs> i go to the student store when i run out of thumbtacks like girl you couldn't even buy something more interesting at student <laughs> like get a fucking colored highlighter or something <laughs> anyways um but what's interesting to me about this episode where they um are in the bar mm-hmm. is that she's clearly very nervous right um and he's clearly picking up on that uh and so he's like, can you stay for a drink? Mm-hmm. So he's obviously interested in her too. Yeah. Um, but I think they want different things. Yeah. So for Rory, it's more of a like, I like him. I want to see where this goes. And for Logan, it's like, I'm in college. I like everyone. Exactly. That's <laughs> part of his his shtick. Yeah, that's part of his shtick. And we, we obviously see more um, at the wedding episode next week. But... I don't know. I think as far as like interactions go, this one was definitely nice for them because they're talking about a lot of things that like she would have never been able to have some of these conversations with Dean, right? No. We talked about that. Like it's not stimulating conversation with Dean. Um, Sadly, she and Jess were in different places. So Exactly. So like it's I think she's finally realizing like, hey, I can date in college. Well, season four was a disaster for dating in college, obviously. Mm-hmm. But she's like, no, I can date in college. I'm a sophomore now. Like, there's obviously guys here. We had this little adventure. We can talk about everything, you know? Yeah. Um. But I still think she's really, really nervous and insecure because he is not making the first move. Does that make sense? Yeah. She's yeah. Like I said, she's used to, or you said, she's used to guys not like falling at her feet but she's used to guys like making the first move in terms of hey i have feelings for you yeah or at least being a little bit more explicit in the way they show or say their feelings right yeah um so here's this guy that's constantly flirting with her but hasn't tried to do anything else and i think her having to take the lead is scaring her yeah it is um and she's really out of her element i think right I think it's good for her though. Like and then oh, sure. in a way that, you know, stupid grown up straight people always say, Oh, it's good for you. You'll you it's a good learning experience. Like, n- no, I don't I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but in this con- <laughs> in this context, when I say it's good for her, I mean it's based on having, you know, her grow up in front of our eyes throughout all seven seasons. Like at this stage in her development as a character. It's good. Like, that's why I think a lot of Logan's appeal is like, it was more of an adult relationship. Like there was a lot mm-hmm. of, there's a lot of young adult drama and bullshit. So obviously, but obviously uh, it was like, that's why to me, lo- like Logan and Rory was always a close second to her and Jess because yeah, there was moments where Logan's a complete dick, but mm-hmm. overall it was the, the, there was like the adults connection that was missing from her teen years, you know? 
Yeah, I think also he he read her as soon as he met her. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, and I think that also kind of scared her a little bit. <laughs> yes. Because um, let's be honest, she wasn't with Jess long enough. And Jess, I'm sorry, didn't show enough of an interest. No. Because he had his own stuff going on, obviously. Um, and Dean was really like in the clouds also. <laughs> So I think it's the first time that she's also just realizing that, um, you know, she can be seen as well. Do you remember what you wrote? What you wrote for Dean's uh, New Year's resolution in our newsletter in January when you? I did. Uh, yeah, when you uh, predicted what and what all of the characters' New Year's resolutions would be. So this is a great way to plug uh, the newsletter. Also, yes. <laughs> so if you subscribe to our Patreon for four dollars a month. Um, you get two newsletters per month. So they come out at the, the same day as the episodes do. And essentially, we talk about Gilmore Girls things and what we're reading, listening to and whatever. And occasionally, we'll imagine certain scenarios for the characters. So what we did for one of the January ones where is where we imagined what their New Year's resolutions would be. And if they would succeed. <laughs> and for Dean, I wrote read one book and he would fail miserably what's a book <laughs> i wrote what's a book <laughs> oh i'm funny <laughs> yes yes you are because <laughs> uh, like all of the other characters resolutions were like so on point like thought out like a couple of sentences whereas Dean it was like full on paragraph for some of the other characters yeah and Dean's was, was at the bottom of the list it was one line read one book and he fails what's a book exactly <laughs> I know what I'm talking about, guys. <laughs> really do. Um, but yeah, so I think, I don't know. I think Logan kind of scares her, but she's willing to try because it's good for her. Exactly. Um, I also, like, it's the first time we also hear about Logan's father and kind of get an inkling as to their relationship. Mm-hmm. So Doyle mentions that Logan's father is such a big guy in the newspaper world, that he owns 13 newspapers, that he's throwing a party for Seymour Hirsch. Um, is Seymour Hirsch dead, by the way? I don't know. I feel like yes. Let me look it up. You keep talking. <laughs> okay. So he's going to look that up. I'm going to keep talking. If he's not dead, he's in his 80s. But um, so I feel like this is another instance of Rory just being so amazed that there's a whole other world out there. Yeah. Also, you know, like beyond the small town life of Stars Hollow and staying with your high school boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean... I think that's also part of Logan's appeal. Yeah, like it's he's kind of representative of her bigger world aspirations in a lot of ways. Like it's convenient, obviously, that his dad is owns a lot of newspapers. And as Richard put it, that's not a bad connection. <laughs> Laughs and nepotism. Um, <laughs> but like it's it's convenient, obviously, but at the same time he's kind of he like logan kind of just signals that there's more to life than stars hollow and i think that's what scares i think that's what scares lorelei about him at least in the long term in the beginning obviously she thinks he's just some rich privileged yale frat boy which valid and i think no but especially by like season six and season seven logan is kind of like um the the megan markle of the stars hollow world where it's like (laughs) He's changing. He's changing too much. Oh. He's abrasive. He's mean. 
He talked- Jeffrey just finished Spare, if you can tell. <laughs> he talked about my hormones in public. Oh my god, that's so funny. Anyway, I know. I think I think I think Lorelai is scared of of Logan in that way, and that's kind of what there's a, there's a little bit of anxiety you can see in Rory that Logan brings out. I think that's what it is. Like she wants this. Like oh look, his dad happens to be a newspaper magnet. Uh, here's this smart guy who's interested in journalism, just doesn't apply himself. Like sadly, I think there's a little bit of like let me just motivate him, let me fix him to use a. Okay, cliche. I I wrote that also in my notes. It's very mm-hmm. fix him. Yeah. And I don't know if it's fix him or like, it, it definitely fits the fix the fix him trope, I think. Yeah. So I don't know if that's her motivation. Yeah. Um, I think really she just wants to give him notes as an excuse to see him again. Yeah. Um, but there are instances throughout this season and even season six where it's very fix him. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I feel like he doesn't do to her, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's. Especially since I'm not gonna say Dean did that, but he kind of did that. So yeah. Well, anyways, to go from Dean to Logan is just a glow up. Let's just oh, say for that. Sure. <laughs> you cannot deny that. Um, but uh, oh my god, do you know that I'm also on a tangent now? But do you know that Milo Ventimiglia was recently on James Corden with Madeline Klein? Yes. And um, Madeline Klein, who is my love, says <laughs> that he's Team Dean, and I'm like. Well, now we have to break up. Yeah. And I was like, girl, no, I can fix you. <laughs> but anyways, that's a side note. Um, yeah, but we t- Logan talks about how his dad's kind of a bully and that he hates these parties. And like, um, so we get the sense that he doesn't really have the best relationship with his father. But from everything yeah. that Doyle said, he's obviously a talented writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he banged out that paper in less than a week, the article, you know, so he's at Yale obviously money has something to do with it but I mean he's not an idiot um no so I think for Rory it's like the best of both worlds it's someone I can have stimulating conversation with and it's also somebody that um can open up a whole other world to me so I think that was really clear in episode eight remember when she asked Dean what she thought of the paper and he's like it was good I I read it I liked it (laughs) and again with this voice (laughs) and then he asked and then she asked Logan and he gives her like actual constructive feedback, like actual stimulating conversation. Yeah. So I think that I think yeah. that dynamic between the two of them, um, between Roy and Logan was established fairly early for a point. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, but what I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. is so there's this moment where Rory's talking about him going to the party with Seymour Hirsch and he gets to meet Seymour Hirsch and she's so excited. And he's talking about how it's such a boring, like they're all boring parties. I just take a date to have somebody to talk to and blah, blah, blah. And she's saying, oh, you're so lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he kind of implies. Or this is my my interpretation. He kind of implies that she's going to be going with him this time because he's like, well, maybe this time it won't be so bad. And he's kind of looking at her. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, do you think, A, that she was fishing for an invite? And yeah. B, do you think that he was implying that he would bring her? Before I answer both questions, Seymour Hirsch is alive and 85 years old, everybody. just so Mazel, Seymour! <laughs> in case anybody was wondering, he's alive. Um, I think Rory was sadly fishing for an, an invite, and I don't think... I don't think it, it, ve- it veered into her throwing herself at him, but 
No, um, I think it was subtle. It was tastefully done, Roy. Yeah, it was subtle. And I think they were playing a game. And I think um I think Logan like Logan knew what he was doing in terms of kind of stringing her along. And that's why I think Roy felt confident enough in that moment to say, like, maybe this time won't be so boring. Like she was kind of giving him a taste of his own medicine of that kind of flirtatious vibe that he's been giving off all of this time. And I think that proves that Logan is not in a place to commit to her because I I think low, I think deep down Logan, um, uh, Logan likes, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Logan (laughs) likes um, Rory more than he wants to admit. And yeah, it's it's cliched, but um, you know he like that's why he 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 goes back to the the blondes that he dates just for the sake of it because they don't mean anything in the long term. I think he knows deep down that Rory means something in the long term, and that's why he's like, oh, uh, okay, bye. Yeah, I think so. I also remember watching this the first time and being really giddy. And being mm-hmm. like, oh my god, they're gonna go to this party together. <laughs> um, because it was so obvious to me that when he looked at her and he was like, Well, maybe this time it won't be so bad. And I was like, Oh, he's definitely gonna ask her to go to the party. And yeah. then being so disappointed at the later scene where he just like gives her a tap on the back, is like, Okay, bye. <laughs> and I'm like, What? Because I also thought that's where it was leading. And the only thing I can think of of like what maybe changed his mind is exactly what you were talking about, like. You know, he talked about bringing a date just to have somebody to talk to. But he knows that that's not Rory. Like, yeah, exactly. I think, you you know, you said he read her. He read her immediately when he met her. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say he knew like he knew that he knew this this girl is not one to, to screw around with. Like, if I'm going to be with her, I'm going to I'm going to be with her. And I think the thought of that scares him. Now, like there's anxiety on both parts, you know? So, yeah. I so think Rory has ne- Rory's never had a grown-up dynamic like this. And mm-hmm. Logan has probably has probably had grown-up dynamic, but has never had really a serious adult relationship. Yeah, they're know? not so, meaningful, right? And I think yeah. I think maybe he thought about it for a little bit and he's like, if we go to this party, first of all, I think one of two things were gonna happen. I think he was thinking to himself, if we go to this party, um you know for it might get her expectations up right like he's bringing me to this party his dad's gonna be there um they're obviously gonna have a good time there's you know they both enjoy each other's company but then i think he's Mm -hmm. also thinking like fuck maybe this party if i bring her won't be so bad yeah and like then i'll want to bring her everywhere kind of thing and like you said i think he's he likes her more than he's willing to admit at this point Mm -hmm. so First of all, I love a self-aware king. <laughs> so congratulations to you for knowing and shutting that shit down right away. How how very like Gen Z of you to say. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm I'm with it. I'm with the lingo now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, I think honestly, he was like, I can't do that to her or to myself. Yeah. Um, so in a way, like his in a in a way, him being non-committal was like because he likes her too much yeah know? i think it was more like a protective thing not just for her but for him as well yeah like um, that whole that whole trope of like i'm bad news i'm gonna break your heart don't don't well he gives her like a version of that speech in next week's episode yeah um but again thank you for your self-awareness sir <laughs> you know 
I mean, just um, the, just this conversation about Logan is already is already signaling to me that there's so much more depth to this relationship than Rory's previous two. And you see, not, and not to give a dig to Jess because I think there was a lot of depth there too, but it was very it was very youth oriented. It was teenage angst, you know. So well, I mean, it makes sense. That's where they were in their lives, right? Yeah, exactly. Whereas this is adults, and it's a young adults. They're not like freaking fully formed human beings yet. But Logan's twenty one. Yes, but the brain is still developing until 25. Oh my god. I think that's what they that's what they say. I don't know. Probably That's and for men, men only. Yeah, and men probably develop even later than that because exactly. let's be honest. You idiots. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um I I kind of like his even though maybe it wasn't done the best way mm. like with the implication and the tap on the back cuz she was clearly disappointed you know, it's better than him bringing her and kind of stringing her along, I think, at this point, right? Yeah. Um, Because, like we said, he kind of knows what kind of girl she is, and that wouldn't fly with her. Um, So I I, I was crushed also when he didn't invite her. Mm-hmm. But I got a new appreciation for it the more I watched it, and the more I grew and realized, like, he's actually really nice for doing that. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give him too much credit because at the end of the day, stringing Roy along and being like, uh, and not confronting his own feelings because he's, you know, he's noncommittal, he's immature and he wants to just do, he doesn't want to grow up yet. It's kind of like a bit of, a bit of Peter Pan syndrome. Um, I don't know. To me, it's like, okay, I get it. Cool. That you do you, but at the same time, like, like short your, sort your shit out, you know? I know. Yeah, I agree. And when we get to that episode, um, I'm going to have a lot to say Yeah, because it's one of the episodes where I'm most frustrated this season, for sure. I mean, one of the episodes I'm most, I don't know if we're talking about the same episode, but one of the episodes I'm most frustrated is with is the the Founders Day punch and the why doesn't he like me? Oh, God, girl, there's so much snot in your face. And <laughs> it's not pretty. Yeah, so like, that's a whole and other it's not thing. even worth it. Like, anyways, but yeah um but i'm gonna have things to say on that yes can we Uh, talk about um kirk working at the showing up in different roles the dragonfly yes we can because within the fandom this is this is like a lot of people's favorite um kirk Kirk, episode kirk episodes or kirk gags or whatever you want to call it yeah and hijinks yeah hijinks um and I have a serious proposal for you for this week's episode title. And it's not stupid or a quote or anything. It's like an actual genuine suggestion. Okay. Is it Kirk hijinks? No, it's Kirk of all trades. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I knew you would. <laughs> but that was also, never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it's something about the newsletter, but it's okay. Okay. Well, so shush. subscribe. <laughs> but Kirk of all trades is cool. I like that. Um. Yeah, I think so. People, people like this one because um it's just it's so kirk like you're just i maybe i want to go to hotel management let's just show up one day it's just everything we know about kirk and he has 40 jobs and of course of course this is how he works his way into places like i could totally see kirk doing this at every other job he's had like just shows up and because it stars hollow and there's three people who live there they just like okay yeah you, you seem to know what you're doing Take yeah, he just like walks into the post office one day. He's like, "We have a lovely selection of stamps." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, all right, yeah, take the cash, Kirk. Whatever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. As I, someone I, who I, works, as someone who works in a small business, I could totally see that happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just love the fact that you know when Ro- Lorelai goes back to the inn 
after she has the conversation with Jackson mm-hmm. to go see Suki. And she walks in and she finds him at the desk and she's like so dejected, but so accepting. She's like, he's like, no messages. Super. Thanks, Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Like this, that she spent the whole episode being like, Kirk, what are you doing here? And it's like, yeah. She was like trying to fight it for so long. And at this point, just let him answer the fucking phone. At least somebody's yeah. answering the phone. <laughs> My God. Somebody's at the desk. Who cares? What do you care? And and speaking of the, the staff meeting where Kirk first shows up, mm-hmm. we, I love this is like. I think one of my favorite, like Michelle gags too, where he's, he's he's kind of beating around the bush over, he wants to bring up kind of like sexual harassment at the Dragonfly, and I think it's because like he thinks people are looking at him mm-hmm. or touching him because he works out or whatever it is, and she's just like, no one touched Michelle. Moving on, unless specifically asked. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't. I would. I think that kind of joke wouldn't fly today just because sexual harassment is a bit more of a sensitive and more serious issue so so that wouldn't fly today that really measly sexual harassment seminar wouldn't fly today what else wouldn't fly today is um michelle talking about lars and what's her face having an affair yeah margie maggie i don't remember (laughs) i don't remember but that also wouldn't fly like she's getting chunky because of Toblerones apparently he thinks yeah um but yeah I think like a lot of things in this episode having to do with sexual harassment and assault like Charlie Rose and stuff mm-hmm. not great for that no and sadly it's kind of it kind of proves how much I'm gonna say like sexual harassment wasn't taken seriously until me too but at the same time it really it, it was only taken seriously to a point you know and then uh, Me Too and Time's Up happened and it was a huge cultural reckoning. So to kind of look back, it's like, I don't think they were making light of sex, necessarily making light of sexual harassment. Um, but like, it's just, it's weird how any, like, any mention of it, you're like, that wouldn't be framed that way today anymore. And it's kind of, it's, and to me, to me, it's a good thing, but yeah, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, if you're a boss that handles sexual harassment seminars like that, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely not i know it's a show and it's not that deep and we're meant to like love the fact that lorelei is making light of it but no yes no one touched michelle moving on (laughs) yeah um i want to talk about lunar new year at mrs kim's house yes because we have we actually have lane in this episode yeah we actually have lane and unfortunately we also have zach yeah uh, who i think was unbearable in this episode isn't he always Uh, I mean, yeah, but specifically this episode, I think um, it didn't really change. She's wearing glasses. Uh, no one's going to know you're a smart chick. And I did a smart chick. And well, yeah. we're going to have to talk to you to find out you're smart. You don't can, I, can I tell you something? Yes. Your Dean voice and your Zach voice are eerily similar. <laughs> well, I'll have to uh, make the Zach one more succinct. <laughs> God. But yeah, I think... Um, so this is not a good Zach episode for me. Even if you don't mind Lane and Zach together I think you can't deny the fact in this episode that he's insufferable Mm -hmm. um so Mrs. Kim goes over to it not really invite but demand that Lane comes to Lunar New Year well before that Kian comes by Luke with with the scoop and she gets a Monte Cristo sandwich in exchange because she's like I'm not only acting bored I give I give scoop you give me Monte Cristo sandwich I'm like yes give her the sandwich exactly she's a good girl so Um, Kian says that Mrs. Kim is expecting her to be there at Lunar New Year despite the fact that there was no um acknowledgement on Mrs. Kim's part of the fact that she verbally attacked Zach in the street 
Yeah. So I can see why Elaine is like, oh, you just expect me to show up after you brutally assault my boyfriend with your words in the middle of, in the in a public space. Um, so, I mean, valid. Yeah. I think it's super valid, the fact that Mrs. Kim is like, uh, no, sorry, the fact that Lane is wondering, like, oh, hey, you're just showing up at my doorstep expecting me to come to Lunar New Year, but you haven't said anything about the fact that you yelled at somebody about, like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a valid criticism. Yeah. Um, from everything we know about Mrs. Kim, it doesn't surprise me that she just showed up and demanded she comes. But I do like this kind of Mrs. This Lane versus Mrs. Kim dynamic in this episode because it feels, it feels like they're kind of on the same page. Of it feels more equal. It feels yeah, it feels more equal exactly. Like when um when Lane's like when Lane says like Lane says fine, I'm coming, but I'm bringing I'm bringing Zach. She's like okay, fine, you bring Zach, I'm inviting the parks. I hate the parks. You don't hate the parks. No, but you hate the parks. I'm allowed to hate the parks. Yeah. To me, it just I... it felt like tit for tat in a way of like that mother and daughter should be and I doubt that Lane and Mrs. Kim were ever like that when they lived together you know no so that's the thing I think it was more liberating um it was like a breath of fresh air to see them actually interacting mm-hmm. so even though they have their differences it's Mrs. Kim reaching out to her daughter's um like going to the house and extending an invitation slash demand whatever yeah. But then, you know, like having her over, have it, seating her, like feeding her, all this stuff. And then actually having a conversation with her as an adult. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's creeping that that childhood duty creeps in, you know, like, let's go chisel the food off the pans. <laughs> um, but yeah, it felt way more. I don't know the word. It felt like they were equals. How do I how do I put that? Like. It felt like they were finally, it felt like Mrs. Kim was finally able to take her daughter seriously as an adult, even if she didn't approve. Yeah, exactly. But at least she's talking to her like an adult and, you know, respectful of the fact that she's bringing the band, you know? And it seemed like it seems so far away from Mrs. Kim, who was like, children do not make the rules. You can move out and live like that somewhere else, you know? Yeah, it seems like she's finally accepted that, okay, she did move out, like I said, mm-hmm. but she's still my daughter, you know? Um, like they don't see it the same way but they there's they still love each other yeah and it's lunar new year it's like a really big holiday so she obviously wants to spend it with her daughter yeah um so lane says she's bringing the band ryan studied way too hard way too hard as i would expect him to do he looks like the kind i know and kyun is just like in love with him we should have gotten more of that relationship i think so too (laughs) like that would have been fun I think it, maybe it wouldn't have worked, obviously, because Mrs. Kim was trying to make Lane and or make Kion into the Lane that never was. Yeah. But it would, it would have been nice to have them kind of just be dating in the background, you know? I thought so, too. I liked them together. I loved yeah. how the at the end scene where they're all watching the music mm-hmm. and Brian's watching the music and Kion's just, like, focused on him. Yeah. Like, completely <laughs> turned her body just to look at him. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, girl, you in trouble. <laughs> um, Gil is, you know, being Gil. Yes. And the thing that I hated about, Bri- uh, about Brian, about Zach, was that he was just like pouty face the whole time. Yeah. Kind of disrespectful towards like the food. And wasn't really making an effort. Like Zach and, effort. Zach and Gil both were making an effort, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was just zero effort on his part. And like. I know you're uncomfortable because she yelled at you. Mm-hmm. 
and like you're living with her daughter and she doesn't approve but you're dating her daughter put in some kind of effort like you're not gonna get in her good graces by being a douche exactly and the whole thing with the glasses like they finally bond over the glasses mm-hmm. i feel like that's not enough <laughs> no and i want to ask you based on some like you've you've worn glasses since you were a kid i assume right no no when did you get glasses <laughs> Egypt. Oh my gosh, really? I thought you had glasses your whole life. I don't know why. I no, my that. vision went super bad uh, in uh, university, college. Well, when I, I got glasses before you did in terms of life's like lifetime. I got glasses when I was in grade eight. Um, I thought I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you like growing up. <laughs> now my question is not valid, but like for people <laughs> who you know who got glasses in childhood, and I know a lot. Like remember when I was young, like my dad's always worn glasses. Um, like he got glasses in childhood and I was scared of him when he takes his, his glasses off. Like he didn't look like he didn't look like my dad with those glasses, you know? Like he looked like a scary man. He just had like <laughs> he looks angry without his glasses on. Even my mom says so. Um so I find like people who know like people who know you like your love and love you, your family, with like they know you with your glasses. I find it's just it's kind of confining as a person, like when you want to wear like Lane who wants to like experiment wearing contacts, like that's a thing. You're allowed to like take your glasses off and put contacts on. Like that's a, that's a freedom you should be able to have. And then they're like, oh, you're not you without your glasses. Okay, like, eh. like Lane actually looks really pretty with her, without her glasses. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get what they're saying, mm-hmm. especially from Mrs. Kim's point of view. Yeah. Um, I think from Mrs. Kim's point of view, it's, it's more like, I think she's, starting to maybe regret the relationship she's had with her daughter all her life. Yeah. And her choosing not to wear glasses anymore is just another reminder that she's growing up and she's her own person. Mm-hmm. From Zach's point of view, like, fuck you. Yeah. Just because you want people to think you're dating a smart girl doesn't mean that she has to wear glasses. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Um, But that being said, I think Lane looks really cute without her glasses too. Yeah. Um, But it's her choice. Mm-hmm. Like the reason this whole thing comes about is because she thinks she doesn't look rock and roll enough for the band pictures. Yeah. And that's her choice. Mm-hmm. Like if she doesn't like the way she looks with her glasses, she's 20 years old. She's allowed to wear contacts for God's I sake. Like, I kind of like how, I mean, it wasn't, it was kind of a, not really a big, a big deal other than the fact that both Zach and Mrs. Kim commented on her wearing not wearing her glasses yeah but i feel like they just needed something to bring them together yeah exactly but i find in general like characters on tv who wear glasses who like experiment with contacts like it there's always some kind of joke gone horribly wrong with contacts like i'm thinking of on the big bang theory when leonard tried to get contacts and it just he never got he could never get used to them and like one of them apparently like slid back into his skull and it was just was, really rare, apparently. It was just like a complete disaster. And to me, I find that's just kind of shitty representation for people who wear glasses because um, there's I'm sure there's millions of people who wear glasses who can easily wear contacts. And it just kind of reinforces this kind of character trope of people who are like the whole like this whole smart girl trope, you know, like girl who wears glasses. Um, I don't know. I don't know if any of that makes sense. But like, I think. There's, I, th- I just liked how like Link put contacts on and she could function. You know, I find in, I find on television a lot of times characters who wear glasses like that's a 
that that's a focal point of their character. And then when they take the glasses off, it's like, oh my gosh, you know? It's very 90210 though. Okay. <laughs> like the glasses bits. Mm -hmm. So I remember when the, you know, you know, when they rebooted 90210? Yes. And like the whole commentary was like, it's such a sexual show now. <laughs> When, well, it was pretty sexual in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, the big one of the big storylines in the 90s was when Brenda got glasses. Right. Oh, and like when Jan got glasses on the Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm always thinking, like, glasses seems like such a, like, a minute thing mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things, especially when talking about Lane. Like... <laughs> I would have taken 18 episodes of you shitting on her glasses if you hadn't impregnated her the first time she had sex. Yeah, I agree. Okay? Okay. <laughs> With twins. With twins. And then, for some reason, thought sex wasn't supposed to feel good. Mm, that, I think that, honestly, I know we're jumping to season seven, but that, to me, is the most tragic thing to come out of all this. Absolutely. The fact <laughs> that she thought, like, oh, why should I have sex? It's horrible. Because it's supposed to feel good. <laughs> oh, poor dear. <laughs> I know, exactly. Just another day of me wishing that Zach could fulfill her needs. But anyway. Um, the last thing I want to talk about mm -hmm. is Emily fucking Gilmore. Yeah, well, we had to address the elephant in the room sometime. Well, here's the thing. Wait, wait, wait. Before I move on to that, I just noticed something in my note in my notes that I have to address about Lane's storyline. The Korean child who's a who's a devil spawn. Oh, he's hilarious though. I know. He's, I, honestly, I think I think that kid did his job so well because no matter how many times I watch it, he freaks me out every time. Honestly, I don't know what that kid was paid, but he deserves double. Absolutely. Like, if I'm the director of that scene. Mm -hmm. I'm yelling cut and like putting him on my shoulders and running around the set. Like he was so good. Absolutely. Yeah, that was really good. Anyway, Emily Gilmore being trash. Yeah. So I want to talk about Emily and mm -hmm. this, the final two scenes, shall we say, of the episode. Um. So the thing that I don't understand. So to set the scene. We go upstairs, Miss Celine is there with um, a shit ton of wedding dresses. You know it's going to be a good time when Miss Celine is there. She's hilarious. <laughs> she was talking about Marlena Dietrich trying to be a man. She was talking about Marilyn Monroe. She always got the goods. <laughs> she, um, wear, wear, wear a hat, you don't think it's a book. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, honey. But anyways. Um, so the last scene with the wedding dresses. Mm -hmm. Um. Lorelai picks up a dress and kind of holds it up to herself and is kind of twirling in the mirror. Yeah. Um, I don't understand as a parent how you can see your only daughter looking so happy mm -hmm. and instantly think I have to take that away from her. And I never really thought about it until like analyzing it in this context. Do you think, obviously the answer is probably yes, but do you think that it was Emily noticing her daughter like hold the wedding dress and do a little twirl um, that then prompted her to make a visit to you know who? Yes. Okay. Because I didn't really, like, really think of it necessarily in that way. I, you know, I, I guess I was just kind of being innocent about it, but. But what other way is there to think about? You think she would have invited Christopher? Like would have thought of it on her own to invite Christopher and give him a speech about how, you know, you've always loved Laura, like go get her. Yeah, fuck her. 
Like, I don't understand. You see your daughter and she's happy. She's so happy. When was the last time you saw your daughter that happy? Not around you. <laughs> well, exactly. But I'm saying, you know, she's happy. She's for the first time in her life. She's thinking about actually getting married, you know, mm-hmm. like seriously, let's be honest. Max was nothing. Um, and she also didn't tell you about Max. So that goes to show you, but you know what I mean? And fine. You don't approve of her choice for whatever, you know, ancient reason, but she's happy. And shouldn't that be the priority? Sadly, no, because then she goes to Christopher to give him this invitation and she essentially calls him trash to his face, (laughs) but says you're from a good family. So go get her. Like your, your standards are so fucked you know just the fact that you you don't like christopher as a human being but because he comes from a perspective because he's like well-bred essentially well that's what she said yeah. you come from good breeding what is he a horse and and like this was 2004 2005 yeah 2005 um what century are you in oh my god it's such a backwards way of thinking but for me like i've never hated emily gilmore more than i do now like no. even the whole episode where her and Richard are taking like having Luke over for dinner and taking him golfing and like talking down to him. Like I hated her then. Mm-hmm. But but this is like a whole other level because there's not e- like Luke's not even there for you to say something like make these passive aggressive digs. It's your daughter looking at herself in the mirror in a wedding dress and imagining a life where she's super happy and you being like abort. See, I don't necessarily think she was thinking like abort on your happiness. I think she was like, oh, my daughter wants to get married. I just have to like choose the guy for her. But when has that ever worked? Never. (laughs) So yes, it is shitting on her happiness because right now what's making her happy is Luke. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's going to be Christopher. But see, I think in Emily's skewed perception of reality, she thinks that like, she still believes like her her daughter doesn't know what makes her happy. Her daughter, like... She's like, she thinks she's happy, but it doesn't matter, you know? I don't know. It's just, it's so insane to me that you would have that reaction when your daughter looks that happy. But there's a, spe- there's a specific part of Emily's speech where she says that, like, Luke is going to hold her back and Christopher wouldn't do, like, but could he, like, you, you, what she said, like, he, you might be a lot of things, but you're not, you're not going to hold her back. Uh, I think from what happens... I think uh, he, yeah, like, he does hold her back from happiness. So, I mean, oh, it's such a frustrating, it's such a tiny scene, but it's so freaking frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, not even the hilarious delivery of goodbye, Gigi, enjoy your program. <laughs> like, not even that can lift my spirits after this shit. No, and not even like, not even like goodbye, enjoy your program. Like, this is the child. And I know you would have married her before your girlfriend got pregnant with this. <laughs> this, exactly. Yeah, hilarious. But I mean, I, I can't even I can't even fathom. I don't understand. Now we're gonna have a lot to unravel next episode. Exactly. I can't. But there's one last thing I wanted to bring up. Tell me. Um is Toblerones and Dark Shadows. Oh, Toblerones and Dark Shadows. So um, the whole debacle of Michelle thinking there's someone stealing Toblerones and a bed was like, what, slightly Must. messed up. And yeah. turns out that Suki is spending some evenings in one of the rooms at the, at the Dragonfly 
sitting in bed eating Toblerones and watching reruns of Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, and she even makes she even makes a comment about how Anne Michelle is too anal for his own good, which I would also agree with. I agree. Um, so I was going to ask you if you were well. Seeing as how you were a fan of Passions, were you at all were you at all familiar with another soap opera known as Dark Shadows? So I'm familiar with it. I never watched it. Um, I know it has something like over a thousand episodes. Yeah, and it's because it was it was like it was a, it was a daytime soap that ran it in the '60s. So it, yeah, like, but it was like more sci-fi, and it aired um, every day, which and it's considered like a classic of '60s TV because like at the like in the '60s, what had a lot of kind of out there TV shows that defined the supposedly changing counterculture yeah so dark shadows was kind of um against the norm of the time for daytime soap operas and then later many many years later there would actually be a spinoff of general hospital called port charles that had a lot of supernatural stuff and there were supernatural elements in passions as you know yes i know (laughs) so um have you seen the the dark shadows movie with johnny depp i did see that and i remember liking it yeah, I remember it didn't do well at the time. And I was it did afraid. not, but I remember really liking it. And um I don't know. I think yeah. uh, I think maybe it's too late to get into Dark Shadows. I mean, I saw so I saw the movie like around the time that it came out. Um and then like I didn't 12. Yeah, so around then and then I didn't and so I saw it that one time and I didn't watch it again until like not not last Halloween, the Halloween before when I was like browsing for spooky movies on Netflix or whatever. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen this since it came out. And so I watched it and like loved it even more the second time, like found the bought the Blu-ray, the whole the whole shebang. And which then led me to find a DVD collection of, me- of memorable episodes of Dark Shadows, like from the original series. Hmm. So I've, I've watched a couple of them. It's kind of hard because they're out of context and there were so many episodes. Yeah. But, I don't know. I like I I like how they tried to like to take the daytime soap opera and approach it in a in a supernatural like not even just supernatural, but they tried to approach it in like a mythological type of way of like vampires, werewolves. You know, I think it I think it was creative, and I wish we had more of that nowadays. Well, you can watch twelve hundred episodes of that one. <laughs> well, I don't think I'll have access to all twelve hundred episodes, but I'm sure you could find it somewhere. Probably, but I have that DVD collection where I only watched like I think I, I so I bought it like that Halloween, then I watched one this Halloween, even though I don't have it doesn't have to be Halloween for you to watch it. But um, yeah, it was it was it was like cute and kitschy. I you know I'm I'm already into soap operas, so you kind of have to be a soap opera person for them. But I'd recommend if anybody's interested to seek out both the Johnny Depp movie and old episodes because it's it's fun, <laughs> it's it's good lighthearted entertainment. Yeah, it's nothing too serious, and it's really fun. I agree. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, where can they find us? They can follow us on Twitters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. Um, you can email us if you if you wish, Gilmore Podcast at gmail.com. And we would love it if you consider subscribing to our Patreon, as we mentioned. That comes with a um, email newsletter that comes out with every new podcast episode where we tell you what we're reading, watching, listening to, and dish on some Gilmore Girls topics that don't fit into the running time of the podcast. So 
it's some good bonus content if you're interested and by subscribing you help us support the podcast and keep it alive which we very much appreciate so you can do so at patreon.com slash girls podcast and i think that's it for this week yes and we will see you next time bye